everyone. I am so excited to share this episode with you guys today. We got the amazing opportunity to do sort of a crossover podcast episode um, with another Montessori podcast. Uh, So there's this amazing Montessori school in Sioux Falls, South Dakota called Bondec Montessori. Um, I urge you to check out their blog. It's linked below. Their website is fabulous and they are just such an amazing presence for the Montessori community. Um, and so Jamie and I sat down with Charlotte Snyder, the head of school at Bondec, and we we had such a great conversation. It was one of those Montessori conversations where all of us knew that we could have talked for mm, four to five hours. Um, and this interview is already pretty long, um, but oh my goodness, we had such a great conversation. Um, so you can listen to this interview here. It's also on their podcast, uh, which I've linked below that you can definitely check out. They're doing amazing work. Um, and yeah, we're just, we're so excited to share this with you. Um, so I hope you enjoy this really fun interview episode with Charlotte Snyder of Bondac Montessori. So today I'm joined by Rachel Larson and Jamie Rue. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hi. It's so great to have you on the podcast. So you are the podcast hosts of All Things Montessori. Yes, we are. We are. (laughs) Wonderful. And so um, maybe let's start with Rachel. Do you want to tell me a little bit uh, about yourself, where you're located um, in the universe, and also where people can find you online? Sure. So I am currently living in Winchester, Virginia. It's up at the top of Virginia. Um, I am actually from here. I just moved back here, but um, I am currently, I just finished up working at this sweet little school in Vienna, Virginia called Fiore Montessori School. I was there for four years where I started the elementary program there. Um, and I'm actually transitioning to work for a lovely progressive independent school out here. Um, and they have a big Montessori presence there. Um, so that'll be a new challenge. Um, and if you want to find me online, I mean, I, I, I run our all things Montessori, um, Instagram, uh, which is super fun. Um, and then we also have a Twitter, all things Monty, but my personal Instagram is just Rachel Larson seven, but it's basically just pictures of my dog, food, and my garden, probably. So same, same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't do anything fun. It's right. only yeah. I admit that level of adulting. Of, mm-hmm. Oh, look, my Instagram is only uh, creative hobbies, uh, and yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Jamie, how about you? You want to tell um, the listeners a little bit about where you're located on the internet and in real life? Sure. So I'm Jamie Rue, and I live just outside of Washington, D.C., and I've been here for the last five or six years working as a trainer and at the elementary level and a consultant and coach. Uh, And you can find me on on our podcast uh, uh, presence as well, even though Rachel does the bulk of the work on that. Um, and then I also, I now have started an organization called Rising Tide Montessori, and we create, um, we're creating an online video resource center for 
teachers and parents. And so that isn't live yet, but we'll go live in the next couple of weeks. We're getting very close to putting that up. And that's at risingtidemontessori.org. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And I will pop uh, links to all of these um, for anybody trying to furiously scribble notes. I will be popping links to all of these um, in the show notes. So no need to worry. You can just sit back and listen. Um, so Jamie, what brought you to Montessori? Well, interestingly enough, when I was in college in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, um, oh, nice. <laughs> which is where you are, right, Charlotte? It is indeed. <laughs> I uh, was I was at Augustana College there, planning to be an English high school English teacher, and I did some uh, field work in a local high school, very large high school, with a really you know just really gifted educator. But it, I I really watched how hard she worked for sort of so little return. You know, she worked so hard to get these kids excited about Romeo and Juliet and maybe three per class paid attention. And that really pushed me away from education. I thought I can't possibly, I can't possibly be a teacher like that, even as amazing as she was. And I learned so much from her, but I, so I, I worked in retail uh, at Barnes and Noble and I, um, and then I, stumbled upon Montessori and add in the newspaper when I moved back to Seattle, where I got a position as an assistant in an elementary class. And then they needed a teacher and they sent me to training. So it really was one of those stumbling experiences rather than hearing about it in my, you know, general education classes. I think maybe it had been mentioned briefly, but I really didn't know. And of course, Bondek wasn't in Sioux Falls yet at the time in the mid 90s. So, uh, so I had to stumble upon it. Instead. Yeah, and um, where did you take your training? I took my training at, at WMI, at Washington Montessori Institute, uh, awesome. 20 and plus that, years ago. Is that where you're a trainer now? I was until a year ago. Yeah, I, I trained there. I was the director of training there for five years. And then uh, they've shifted to go independent of Loyola, and I'm working on these other projects. So awesome. Awesome. Kind of comes full circle. I actually did the um, the master's program at Loyola. Um, so it was kind of like really intense Montessori summer camp. Mm-hmm. That's what it is, right? With people from all over. and Yeah, it's pretty exciting. So um, Charlotte, are you from South Dakota or? No, I'm not. I grew up in California. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what got you to South Dakota? this job. It did. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was looking for a job, um, and I had been teaching, um, in Germany and also, uh, in the public monastery program in Milwaukee. Um, Uh and, um, then I was looking for the next adventure and this came up and I decided to, to come visit. And I, I came to interview here and was just so moved by everything that they were doing here at Bondec and just really, really excited about the program. And I thought, oh, but it's Sioux Falls. You know, it's <laughs> hard to move somewhere that um, you never really thought to visit. Um, and then I thought, well, it'll be a good next step. And then uh, next thing I know, this will be my 10th year. Um, wow. I got married and we bought a house and I think we live here now. 
right? (laughs) Yeah. And I, I just love it. It's, it's a very normal place to live. Yeah. We really liked being there. My husband and I were there for three or four years and we also really liked, um, the sort of accessibility of size and the fact that like, you know, you got to know people on the fringes of the culture just because we were from the West. I'm originally from Seattle and, uh, you know, we got to know all sorts of different people because we were sort of weird being from the West Coast and yeah. and we got to know lots of others that way. So we enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. And the Black really- Hills are fun to get to and the falls are nice and you can mm-hmm. still get up to the Twin Cities when you need a big city fix. And mm-hmm. Yeah. All of those big city things that sometimes you do need. Um, but it's grown so much even in the time I've been here. It's just dramatic. Um, but um, it's a really wonderful place to live, really great food and the bike trail goes all the way around the city. And so they're right. really doing wonderful things here. So Rachel, um, what brought you to Montessori? So it's a long story. Um, just as Jamie was saying, kind of, you know, stumbling into it, it's similar to that. Um, so I, I always love working with children, but I never saw myself doing a traditional teaching job. I never, had that urge. Um, So I went to college and I was studying English and communications. And then um, I started nannying and I nannied for a six month old. And I just completely fell in love with taking care of a young child. And then after college, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, And so I went to Italy and I was no pair and I was taking care of children again. But I had convinced myself that, no, 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 I'm not going to be in education. And then after I returned from that, I got a job in New York City as a nanny again. And I was, you know, I was in my 20s. So, you know, I loved being a nanny. I I absolutely loved it. But I just, I I still didn't want to go into education for some reason. Um, And my aunt um, my cousin, her, her children, my cousins, they went to Montessori school straight through elementary. And she would always tell me about it. She would say, I think you'd be great. I think you'd love it. And I just, I was like, Oh no, I don't know what that is. Whatever. Um, and then I started researching about it and then I called WMI and I was supposed to talk to Jennifer Shields because I was interested in primary But Jennifer wasn't there, but Jamie Rue was there and she answered the phone (laughs) and she pretty much convinced me to do elementary. And then I had moved, I moved out of New York City two weeks later and was, was going to, and I did the training and yeah, it was sort of, it was a radical life decision at the time. But when I really think about it, I think my nannying and working with children, I was just really preparing myself and slowly realizing that I wanted to work with children. And, and once I took the training, I mean, I just fell completely in love with it. And, um, here we are now. So yeah, it's kind of, mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Well, wait, what about your story? I want to hear your story. (laughs) I actually, um, I actually went to a Montessori school. Oh, lucky. I was was super lucky, super lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went to Montessori school um, in California where I grew up and um, went through the elementary program 
Um, and so Mm -hmm. I really didn't have any other experience, um, of education. Um, I did one year, uh, second grade, um, my elementary wasn't quite ready yet. And so I did one year of public school, um, in second grade, um, but then the elementary was ready. And so I got to go through the whole program through sixth Mm. grade. And um, I just always found it really, really formative to how I thought about things, Um, especially as I started to get to um, like high school, certain things Mm -hmm. just weren't an issue, Um, like geometry. Um, Like I, I didn't realize that some people didn't know the difference between you know, an acute angled scalene triangle and an acute angled isosceles triangle, or they'd have to remember instead of just having that knowledge yeah. um, or problem solving, um, sort of, um, you know, thinking about problems the way we do the trinomial cube, which, um, if anyone's not familiar with it is a three dimensional cube puzzle Um, that is actually a physical representation of algebra, um, but you use it at both the primary and the elementary age group. And so seeing this physical shape and taking apart all the pieces and then um, seeing all the different components and putting them back together. Um, And that's kind of how I that's kind of how I think about things. And I also never intended to be an educator. I started as a voice major in college and then changed to religious studies um, with an emphasis in shared stories and Mm. um, graduated in 08, which was probably the worst year to graduate until 2020. Um, (laughs) Yeah. There were were no jobs for human people. Um, Mm -hmm. Then I just found myself doing all these different things and I realized I just kept being in an, a teaching capacity, um, whether or not that job was a, an educating type of position of training others. Um, and I knew that how Montessori taught me how to think or allowed me to explore or uh, encouraged, you don't just get to avoid the things that you don't want to do. Um, there's value, yeah. in, there's value in your favorites and there's value in things that don't come easily to you as well. And so that stick to um, was really, um, very formative for me. And I thought, well, if I have the opportunity to pay it forward, um, then why not? And I also really just love school. And so being, <laughs> being a teacher was, um, even though it wasn't in, intended, it was very natural. And then I took my training in Portland, Oregon, and um, did the the master's program at Loyola, and then ended up in Germany at a Montessori school, and then also a brief time in the public Montessori program in Milwaukee. And since... Um, I think 2011, I moved to Sioux Falls and I've been here ever since. Wow. That's, um, that's amazing. I'm so jealous of um, any Montessori child. You know, I think it really is what you're saying, the way you think about things. That's, that's so much of, you know, I think it's ingrained within you in a, in such a different way. Yeah, I agree. I definitely know, um, especially as things you know, progress, how lucky I was that this, Mm -hmm. this is how I I learned things. 
you are both elementary trained, um, and I'm not. I'm um, primary trained, which primary is um, typically two and a half to six, and elementary is six to 12. Um, and yep. some schools have mm-hmm. upper and lower L. Um, so what, uh, what appealed to you about the elementary training? Oh, wow. Well, for me, I mean, it was definitely the age group I was drawn to, the sort of rationally minded individuals at, at uh, six to 12. I do have, I am primary trained also, but I, I, um, I have to, I can't be myself in a primary classroom the way I can in an elementary classroom. It takes a lot more effort for my personality to do what I'm supposed to do in a primary classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas it's a lot, you know, it's just, it's just almost like breathing in an elementary classroom. And so, uh, so it, it, the young children are so like, it's, they, they're astonishing and amazing, that huge transformation that happens from birth to six and the sort of foundational impact it has on the development of the entire human being. Uh, that Those first six years, I mean, I can absolutely say they're the most important years uh, in a child's development. Not that any other time is, is not important, but, but those first six years are so are so valuable. And so my, you know, I'm constantly sort of bowing to uh, primary teachers and, and toddler teachers, you know, that those adults who do work with zero to children from zero to six. Um, And I, uh, but the elementary, the reasoning mind, the sense of humor, the, the silliness that we can have and the, and the ability to, to sort of explore deep, pockets of knowledge that just has always, always really pulled me, even as magical as I find uh, primary classrooms to be. The elementary is, was, yeah, that's what drew me. And Rachel, I mean, I convinced her to take elementary. I don't know. You what did. <laughs> it took me like, it took me like one minute to realize that I should definitely be an elementary guide. I mean, I, I kind of, I'll never forget that conversation, Jamie. I mean, you, you basically were like, I mean, you said it not this way, but you were like, you should really do elementary. (laughs) Um, And I feel the same way that what I agree with totally what Jamie was saying. I think, um, you know, I am an extrovert and I love to be social and I love to explore things and be creative. And I think that the elementary classroom really, you know, fed my soul in that way. Um, And I also just, I have such fond memories of my elementary experience, even though I didn't go to Montessori, but that playing outside that, that curious, you know, reasoning and, and, amazing mind, the, the child that never stops asking questions, questions you never even thought were possible. Um, I just found that so exciting. Um, and you know, that, that just sort of drew me in and, and it was sort of funny because when I started the Montessori training, I really, I thought, Oh wait, maybe I should do primary because I had so much experience with younger children, but the more and more I kept learning about the elementary, I just, it was just really, really affirming. And then it was, you know, all the more affirming when I got in the classroom with those, with those elementary children. Oh, they're so great. Yeah. It's kind of, um, as, as different as Montessori primary, um, because, uh, it's been my experience that Montessori primary is the most common. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, um, as, as different as Montessori primary is 
for somebody who's coming from any, really any other early childhood setting. Um, that's how different my experience of elementary is from primary. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, it's not just a continuation of the same. Um, it's, you know, everything gets changed and it should mm-hmm. be because the child is developing in very different ways. You know, we think of it as linear because they just keep getting older. Um, but how their brain functions, how they focus on things, it's, you know, so dramatic from individual to group learning. Um, mm-hmm. I always find uh, elementary to be very messy. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> coming from yeah. a primary classroom where like, Every child will get very disturbed if the rug basket is out of sorts. And sure. Yep. There's there's paper on the floor. Things <laughs> are just wild. It's like it's uh, you know not even a little bit bouncing off the walls. But that's how different it is from mm-hmm. the the creativity and the concentration and the work. Just looks about as different as it could. I know it's pretty crazy. I mean, I. I always feel this sense of calm and like I have to really behave myself when I'm in a primary classroom. You know, I walk in there and I'm just like, okay, I'm going to be really quiet. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. And then, yeah, elementary is just like, there's, you know, it's explosive is the way I'd like to say. And Montessori talks like about how it is every time that they transition to a different stage of their development, it's a re- a rebirth. It's like mm-hmm. we have a new child. Mm-hmm. And I think, I'm sure you've experienced this, Charlotte, too, you know, that parents need a lot of support in that when they start to see it, especially between primary and what that's really geared toward the characteristics of a child under the age of six. And then they start transitioning into elementary, which is messy, or they're not as conscious mm-hmm. of that order. They're mm-hmm. truly capable of keeping things orderly, but they need to have clear expectations put in place by the adults and they start to be, you know, they distance from their families a bit. They, you know, it, it's a, di- and you, you look at your child and this is true at, I think every stage of development. Now that my kids are old, uh, turning 17 and 20 this summer, I can say it's happened at every transition where when they're transitioning to a new big developmental phase, I kind of look and say, who, where, where did my kid go? Like, you're different oh, yeah. now. <laughs> like, where is the human I've known? Uh, and they do, it's, it is a radical change, even though, you know, the personality is certainly still there, but the, the way it manifests and all those characteristics just really are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's joyfully different, but sometimes we're unprepared for those changes. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've even had parents in my, in my, you know, community when the child does transition, they have to transition too to be like, the, you know, when they come observe or something, the classroom is drastically different than what they've been, you know, seeing for the past three years in primary. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a big change for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you've um, parented before, um, you know, those, those transitions are different. Um, and I think that, um, parenting is the only job, um, that, that we have, that we expect to be good at with very little training, um, (laughs) and not have a learning curve and not really have anyone ever, nobody has ever parented this child before. Um, and so learning as a child is growing, 
mm-hmm. and he, everything is new to to both parent and child, even if it's a second or third or or later child. Nobody's done this before, um, and we kind of right. have these unknown expectations um, that we expect. You know, that'll oh, this is a very tidy child that will continue, or you know, oh, they just go and put themselves to sleep, no big deal, that will continue. Um, or then once you figure out how to have an elementary child and then they hit adolescence and it's like, who is this stranger? Um, yep. <laughs> prepared for it, but you know, there's nothing like you just got to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. it, it is funny as parents too, you know, I had my Montessori training when I had my kid. Well, at least I was partially through training when I had my first, but I had, you know, I had knowledge, but then you, you know, that is a really good point about, you know, your second or third kid. You, it's not that I sort of thought that it, my second child would be exactly the same as my first consciously, but then I kept being so surprised at how different it was. Like, so everything was different. You do have that learning curve again. And then as, as they continue to grow and develop, you have learning curves, you know, the strategies that worked when they were little have to change. I remember my husband learned that one summer when I started my primary training and our youngest was turning six and we had limited choices for her to help her make decisions for a while, you know, saying, do you want to do this or this? Do you, Mm -hmm. you know, to, to help her, you know, make some independent choices. And we realized as she was transitioning to the second plane of development, that that was no longer an effective strategy when he was with her one day And she said, okay, daddy, you have two choices. You can get me candy (laughs) or you can get me ice cream. These are your choices. And that like, you know, hit us both in the face that this strategy that we had found effective to limit her choices and help her make, you know, what we considered wise choices or whatever um, was no longer going to work as she was turning six and she could turn the tables on us. So, Mm -hmm. you know, those kinds of things as parents and, you know, to a certain extent, even in the classroom as, as teachers and guides with the children, because we never have children that are in, you know, children are transitioning in our classrooms too. So we, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we have to respond to them that way as well. We just, we have to be ready. We always have to be sort of observing and responding and getting rid of old techniques that no longer work with this new child. Yeah. And isn't, that's exactly it when it's um, the younger child that, you know, in Montessori, we call them the first plain child, but the child typically under six is, you know, if we, if we phrase things the right way, they're typically pretty comfortable with that, you know, to say like, um, would you like to get out your lunchbox or your plate first? Or, you know, like it's just a really comfortable thing to do when you're working at, at that age group, you get really adept at, guiding those decisions so a child feels a strong sense of agency and independence and that they get to exercise their their muscles for those things and and have some ability to follow through and then comfort with with staying with the decision even if you know they change their mind you know all of these wonderful experiences and then they get to this point where it's like but why you know they they mm-hmm. the reason for all of those things you know not that long ago it was this was very, oh, thank you for making it so clear to me. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even if you are, even those of us who are trained, uh, so we kind of get stuck with this trap. And and maybe it happens at elementary too, but I've talked to a number of primary educators uh, for whom 
you kind of get this idea that if I set up all, if I set up all of the criteria that are required in order for a child to be successful, then the anticipated result will happen of, I'm going to give this presentation beautifully and I'm going to limit my words and I'm going to, um, you know, make sure that the, the classroom is settled before going into this presentation so that, uh, I don't get interrupted. You know, I observed, so I'm I'm confident that this is the right need for this child. And then they uh, aren't that interested in whatever you're showing them, and kind of being surprised that like, no, wait, I followed all the rules. Uh huh. Oh you're yeah. Not, you're not doing what I'm like. You're not doing what my training says you were going to do. Um, right. The, the training is the the best case scenario. Um, That's right. And then That's it's right. real life and only more so in a family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I used to joke with Jamie, there's the there's this constant sentence in our albums that says at the end of each lesson, and the children will choose follow up and work or whatever. And I remember just thinking that would happen. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, it's here. Like, obviously, I'm going to show the lesson and then they're just going to be so excited about it that they're just going to work beautifully for the whole work cycle and it's going to be perfect. Yeah. Um, no. No. <laughs> we are not Pied Pipers. You know, we're, no. we're giving, we're shining a light on the material and then That's the right. child will do the self-education and kind of have to be um, selfless and take your ego out of it. And that just oh, yeah. with with time because there's also a little bit of, if you're not invested in, in helping a child to be successful, um, at, you know, when you get started and it's not sort of, uh, you don't have the experience to, to rely on and the observation skills that really can only be honed with, with time. Um, you, you don't really get as invested in presenting the, the material and then maybe the child's not engaging with it because it, because it isn't thrilling and exciting, and these materials are thrilling and exciting. So it has to be this careful balance of being really invested in our work and really laissez-faire about uh, what the child does with it after I leave. Definitely. I think, and and for me, a big part of it was just like taking it easy on myself because my own self would get in the way so many times. You know, I'd I'd blame myself or, or think I did it wrong or, or I would get, you know, offended if, if, you know, if, if it wasn't going all to plan, but just being okay with, okay, that didn't work. I'm going to try it this way. Okay. That didn't work. I'm going to try it this way. Yeah. Um, and taking a step back, you know, that, that took a while. And I think it's still something that is a struggle. Um, but yeah, and taking I think- the pressure off yourself. Sorry, go ahead, Jamie. The two, the the key is I think we come out of training so excited about all these different materials, but then also worried and making sure that we're doing everything exactly the way we were trained to. And that can pull us away from the connection with the child when ultimately in our work with, in our, you know, Montessori approach and our Montessori pedagogy, the relationship with the child is central. And mm-hmm. everything else we do, all the sort of beautiful materials and everything we have is to really respond to what our relationship with the child is showing us. And we have, we know what children need at different stages of development. And like you said, Charlotte, we observe and we watch, but underlying all of that is really knowing these wonderful human beings we get the joy of working with on a daily basis. And when we know them, 
we know how to respond and we know how to take a presentation and shift it so that it really works for this child. And I know this because I, I've observed and I also have interacted enough to really know who who she is and what she needs. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's something I see really what a big challenge often for new teachers who are, you know, have so much going on that they forget mm-hmm. to just build relationships with children. Yeah. Um, and that's really the key. Yeah, it really is. And um, my, my biggest experience with elementary is, is just from my memory. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, so, so this might not be accurate, um, but in primary, um, the, the child is choosing their own work, but the presentations we give are based on our observations and uh, development and, you know, what we're seeing in the child. And so the child's always communicating, but they're not overtly asking for something. And sometimes they might ask for a presentation on something. Um, and, you know, sometimes we respond with, I am so glad to know you want to do that. Um, but, you know, they want to do the bead cabinet and they're three and a half. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, giving them something that they're not ready for is, is not fair to the child. Um, but I remember when I was in elementary, um, like signing up for lessons or like playing a more overt role that you're actually uh, saying what what you want to to learn about um, in in a really more overt way and um, at the primary level that that relationship is so important um, because when we say come with me I have something wonderful to show you or you know I have something new and sensorial that I think you're really going to like we have to have that relationship there because if if the child doesn't trust us you know, why would they trust that? How do you know what I'm going to like? Um, or then all of those, those language games or all of those kind of the way we highlight uh, the change in, you know, presenting the verb or, you know, whatever the case may be, some of those materials kind of rely on a little bit of a trick um, mm-hmm. or presenting subtraction uh, when this time I'm going to have all the beads um, and I'm going to give you some, they have to trust that you're not making a mistake or um, they have to be willing to, to go with you into that. Um, so it does rely on a lot of faith and trust, which you really can't have unless there's a solid relationship. So building that relationship from the very first day is what make all the academics and all of the transformative things really possible. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And and for elementary, you're right that children do play a much more conscious role in their in their relationship with the with the guide and the and the lessons that they have. They can ask outright for things. They can reason through with the guide or with their peers. Oh, you know, I still need more practice with this, or I'm ready for the next lesson because I have practiced, or any number of things like that. There's a lot more sort of uh, consciousness that they bring because of course developmentally they're ready for that that's what their brains are doing when it before developmentally they needed to really follow those internal urges and impulses those sensitive periods and things so I think that's that's the that's some of the fun for us at the elementary is that they can communicate and be conscious with us but also 
they really rely on really honesty and authenticity and relationship. And if they don't feel like their relationship with the adult in the elementary years is authentic, if the adult is not really being their themselves in the classroom, if the adult doesn't follow through on promises or agreements, uh, if the children will see that or they'll sense it, both things, and they will that will diminish the relationship you have with the children. So then they might grudgingly come to a lesson, but they may not be listening in the same way mm -hmm. or they may not be get, getting engaged. So we have, you know, another another layer of work to do to build to build relationships, which is why often at the beginning of the school year, a lot of what we do in an elementary classroom will be uh, group activities to build relationship and community. As, and then we'll move into our, regular work periods with, uh, with small group lessons and things. Yeah, I would say community. I mean, I, I, I think that I've had those experiences maybe when I was, you know, having, you know, not the best teaching week or month or, you know, any, you know, we've all been there and I could definitely tell, um, a lower energy or, you know, not that, uh, curious, not that energy of, oh my gosh, I cannot wait for whatever, Rachel's going to show me today, you know? Um, and it's good to, it's good to observe yourself in those situations too, and really think about, okay, well, what's going on here? Is it just February and it's just been gray outside or is there something else going on? Um, yeah, I mean, it is, I think, I don't know, personally, I think relationship building, you know, if you don't have that, then yeah, it's pretty hard to do, to, to, uh, um, you know, guide the children through Montessori elementary because elementary, you know, it's also all about having fun and doing this big work and making learning so creative and fun. Um, and you can't do that if the relationship piece isn't there. Montessori um, says there's a quote from her from somewhere. I wish I could cite off the top of my head, but she talks about uh, in the first plane of development under the age of six, if you've built a relationship with the child, it's enough to get their attention, you can call them by name, by their name. And in the elementary, in order to really get their attention, we have to have a relationship. And then we also have to have something that speaks to their soul. That, mm. that yes. part of what starts to happen is that, yeah, because they have that consciousness, then we have to, we have to really inspire them. We have to speak to their souls and mm -hmm. what we offer to them. So we, you know, we're constantly in that sort of mindset, like, you know, and so everything that we want to do with them, we have to be passionate about so that we speak to their soul, because otherwise they're not going to they're not going to take in what we're offering to them. So, you know, it, I think at both levels in classrooms, we go home at the end of the day, like simultaneously, like uh, rejuvenated and excited about the world and exhausted because we give mm -hmm, energy yes. in different ways, you mm -hmm. know, in the two levels. There's a lot of physical energy you have to give underneath that you, we don't have to do in the same way in the other, in the elementary, you know, it's different, but yeah, it is, it is a big work. Both, you know, guides in both levels are, are working very hard. Yeah. yeah it's exhausting. Oh my goodness. I, I don't think I've ever been as tired. Um, <laughs> then after, I just think my whole first year of teaching, I've never been as tired, but I think in general, yeah, it's, it's exhausting. You know, I feel like you're, you're constantly problem solving in every aspect, right? It's either like about the lesson or maybe there's a conflict, but maybe it's just, you know, something else going on in the classroom too. I mean, you're constantly making decisions, making choices, giving energy, being excited. 
oh man, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it does ask a lot of, of us. Um, and it's very rewarding. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, uh, imagine the future of Montessori and what, um, what does Montessori look like, um, in, in the future? Ooh. Well, I mean, Um, I, we have this odd time we're living in right now where we're having to do Montessori at a distance. mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm, that's been a, mm -hmm. I know a challenge for everyone. So I hope we get through this so that we can be back in person again. Um, and I mean, my hope really is that we have, the key for me is accessibility of Montessori, that it's available to everyone, that, that people no longer have to stumble upon it, that mm-hmm. parents don't find out about it when their child is seven. And then some schools say, well, we don't take older children that haven't had primary, you know, that we really make it you know, it's that it's there out in the culture that people can find it and that they can afford it Mm -hmm. so that it's available to, to everyone. Uh, You know, we've got a lot more public schools that are Montessori, which is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also, you know, there's challenges in uh, fitting Montessori into a high stakes testing system. And what I hope is that eventually we can topple that in our education system and move to where we're really looking at authentic assessment and authentic support of children and Montessori can, you know, do that so, so easily. So that's my, my big dreams is that it's just everywhere. It's, you know, in rural South Dakota, it's in cities, it's in, you know, that everyone can, can access it. Yeah. I would have to say that's my number one, too. I think accessibility and affordability because um, I just I I dislike the fact that I didn't know about Montessori until I was 26 years old. Um, that's crazy to me. And now I know all about it and it's completely changed my life. And I just wonder if I would have known before. Um, and I think there's a lot of people that have no idea even what it is or don't really have the resources to understand what it is or, you know, there's not a public Montessori school near them. You know, it's only in the private sector or something like that. You know, um, I think a dream of mine is just that, you know, it's, I think a lot of people, or I've heard, I've heard, um, people just talk about how, you know, it's too far away or it's too expensive or there's, you know, some Montessori schools can be pretty strict on some things. You know, there's, there's a lot of barriers in the way, um, of getting a Montessori education and, um, what a great world it would be if we could not have those. And also another dream of mine, you know, I, I grew up in the public school system, but, um, I would love for the public school system to adopt some of the ways we do things. You know, I know that's not a perfect solution, but it could help us get, you know, to someplace better mm-hmm. um, to start. So, yeah, it is exciting because we're um, we're an AMI school, so we're accredited by the International Accrediting Body. Um, which, um, Jamie, it sounds like you're an AMI trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the that's the organization that Dr. Montessori herself founded, and it's based out of Amsterdam. Um, and 
historically, um, there's been um, uh, very little introduction of, of technology. Um, and uh, for some Montessorians, um, like really feeling passionately, uh, passionately anti-technology. Um, but right now, especially due to the pandemic that we're living in um, currently, um, we're kind of needing to evaluate those kinds of things um, or um, needing to, to reflect on, you know, how can we, how can we use technology to serve us? And um, the um, having working at a school, um, the, the number one obstacle to, to spreading this is, um, is educators is, is trained, mm. trained guides. Um, and, um, it's so exciting to be, um, in a time when, um, when the training is now available in these combined courses where there's a part digital format and um, a, a part in person, or now there's several trainings that are um, doing, doing things um, all online when they anticipated having a, a period of in person this summer, and now they're needing to do it online. Um, and so having, having that, um, having that possibility um, mm -hmm. is exciting of, of using um, using technology creatively and serving adults um, that it doesn't really have to change how um, we do things in the classroom per se, um, but that we, we can use this, this time um, to learn and grow and, and not waste our, waste our quarantine days. Right. <laughs> No, I think this has been, uh, in some ways, a gift to our organization that has perhaps been slow to change at times on things. And now, you know, we've been forced to that those people who are doing doing training right now are putting it online and adjusting and learning from that. And I think that will help accessibility uh, of teacher training and and. You know, and that, and we do. We need more teachers, and we need we definitely need more teachers of color. Uh, our Montessori sort of uh, demographic of teachers matches that of traditional education, where about eighty three percent of teachers are white women, and that's certainly not really reflective of our general population in the U.S. So, right. you know, working harder to get to make possible uh, training for um, for people of all different races so that children get the experience of seeing teachers who look like them at some point in their educational experience, not just seeing white women. Right. <laughs> and that's another yeah. big thing I think uh, I think we have to work toward uh, because that also has to do with accessibility and and really supporting children's development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the having the training be offered in in different formats, um, you know, I I know what a privilege it was to um, be able to take a year to take the in person training um, in Portland and to be able to take out a student loan to cover that time. Um, but if I 
were not able to take out a student loan if I were uh, also needing to work full time, if I had children, even the um, even the format of the course of being during a school year or three summers um, can be prohibitive for some people who, who want to be able to take it. Um, mm-hmm. um, regardless of, of identity, having a rich background um, is, um, is supportive for, for all of us because um, we all bring so much so much to the table and so much to the classroom. Um, so it benefits our, our um, students. It benefits uh, our practice. It benefits each other. Um, and so having that, having the training be accessible um, and then um, the things that, that people are doing within the Montessori movement to um, be in um, intentionally anti-racist, anti-biased, um, to um, intentionally uh, examine their own uh, beliefs and things that we had taken for granted um, and, and what we might be be bringing to the table in those contexts. Um, it's really exciting. It's a really exciting time to be um, to be doing this work because this this is a um, it's a it's a crucible um, right now, and um, we we have the opportunity to really see some transformative change for for the better and keep um, the the strong history and the philosophy that has served children for more than a hundred years and continues. You know, the world has changed. And some things have changed. Um, even in, in my practice, some things have changed about this work. But human development has not changed. Right. Um, <laughs> still, these things still persist. But, you know, we can ingrain some of these. Um, now that we know better, we can do better. And having this um, impact um, our, current, um, our current world and then um, as we move forward, it's just really it's really exciting to see everything that's coming to the fore these days and all these voices, Mm -hmm. all this accessibility. Yeah. It's, it's pretty incredible. I, I always go back to what Montessori, what her whole vision was, was education for peace. I mean, it starts with the child. That's where it starts. Um, And that's, you know, that's our job, right. As Montessorians to do things the right way, you know, you know, examine ourselves and, and change things and change for the better. So we can guide children to be in this better world that we're trying to cultivate right now. Um, yeah, I agree. It's very exciting. And it's, you know, it's, it's also really important to, to listen right now and have all these conversations and self-reflection. Um, so we can, you know, our classrooms can reflect all of that. Yeah. And I, I do think that's that key, that's important, that self-reflection, because I do, you know, totally agree that the our understanding of children works throughout time, anywhere. It's it works for all children. That's their development. But we did, you know, a lot of this was formed in from a Europe white European perspective. And some of that has influenced uh, how we function in classrooms and how we function as we train teachers. So this is also a really powerful time for us to do some very critical self-reflection and interrogation about a lot of our practices so that we can be sure that every child who comes into our environment, no matter race or background, feels they can be their authentic selves and that we're not putting structures in place in our classrooms that 
prevent children from truly expressing themselves. And we can do that when we correct grammar. We can do that in so many ways that we don't, that we're hardly conscious of. And I feel a lot of um, hope in this time as well that we can be really critical of that so that we're sure that we're making Montessori for every child, that it's, a, that it's a place for every child to reach their optimum potential, which is, of course, our goal. But to do this critical reflection on what we do as we become more aware of the ways we need to exhibit anti-racism in all of our practices, our daily life in general, mm-hmm. uh, but particularly in how we make sure every child feels completely and authentically um, themselves in the classroom. Wonderful. Well, it's been such a joy to chat with you. I feel like I could chat with you hour for hours. Um, <laughs> Us too. Yeah. We'll have to do another one. Oh, it was a real pleasure, Charlotte. Thank you so much. And we're just That's so good. pleased for the all the work that you and Von Deck are doing in mm-hmm. Sioux Falls and and the resource you provide for people beyond your community through your uh, through your resources uh, on your website. We're just it's great to see uh, that initiative and that that sort of um, attitude toward you know bringing Montessori to a broader audience. Wonderful, and it's been such a joy to to get to know more about elementary. Um, <laughs> listening to you, ladies, um, my like I said, my only experience is as a Montessori child, and so you know as a user, you don't you don't understand. Oh, that's why that works that way, or you, know, right. you don't have the insight because right. um, it's just your development. And so, hearing those things, um, and and so many of the voices that um, we hear on blogs or podcasts or social media or anything um, have primarily um, uh, primary training. So it's such a joy to have um, uh, an elementary resource to to send them to, and such an accessible one um, as well, because we know that. Uh, Children will leave the primary age group at some point, and then they don't <laughs> stop existing. You know, like right, right, right. They need they need that um, uh, accompaniment and and the partnership and the support and the sounding board um, even after they've left. So it's it's lovely to have um, such a strong voice at that elementary level too. So thank you for for your work. It's it's meaningful. Thank you, Charlotte. That's so nice. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Charlotte. 